You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe, Vince, and Marty. For a moment, I thought of watching it, and I thought, uh, Vince watches it, he'll bring it up. <laughs> he'll bring it up, and if not, I'm going to pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, uh, as, as you'll see from the conversation to come, I tried, but uh, did not succeed. Well, you tried, and I'm proud of you. I did, actually, to be clear. <laughs> I, I, try, I went in several times. I went in um, early on Friday. Save it for the episode. Fuck it, we're we're recording. I don't care. Um, <laughs> I uh, I went in early on Friday because I was off, and then I went on uh, Friday night as well a few times, and then on even on Saturday I did a couple of times, and then I reached a point where it was like, I'm I'm done trying. That that's it. I this is not for me. And then they were talking about all kinds of shit on Twitter on on uh, Sunday about, you know, various things that they were doing, events or whatever, because it was the last day. And I thought, I'm fine. I'll go and I'll check it out and I'll see. Again, I'm, I'm giving this game a chance. So I went in and I mucked around for a little bit. And, yeah, it just, I was not having fun. I It, it wasn't as much in this case, uh, technical issues that were preventing me from playing or even screwing up gameplay itself that bad in terms of, again, network issues or, or bugs or whatever. It's just I was really not enjoying myself at all. I uh, I played with the Interceptor more, and I will say that that is actually my favorite of them all. I really, really dig the mobility on it, the... Um, the, the, the the super, whatever the fuck that it's called in this game, I don't know, the ultimate mm. ability kind of I thing. I think it's called ultimate, yeah. Yeah, where you're slicing and dicing. That was cool as fuck, and especially because you're going in close and then you can quickly get out. Like, there's there's elements of the gameplay that I can look at and say, oh, this is fun, this part is fun, I, you know, I somewhat enjoy this, but then you have to look at, the, at, at everything, and then when I started, you know... Uh, well, analyzing what, what I'm doing, because once you die in one of those things, if nobody's close to res, you get comfortable. I, I hope you brought a fucking yeah, it's book. Yeah, it's a little brutal. It, it's, yeah, it's stupid. Like, you can't even go spectate the others as they're doing anything either, um, which is something that, again, Destiny 2 does very well. So, I, I a few times I die, and then you're left there waiting. Of course... Because they're one person down now, it's even harder for them to clear the area to get to you as well. And I was still seeing a lot of repetition in terms of the areas and the mobs you're fighting and everything like that. And it just, and again, the the shooter aspects, which to me are more important than the other aspects, are just nowhere near as good as going back to Destiny 2. So it's like, I... I'm glad I went in again uh, uh, this weekend 
to see if they'd improved a lot of the things, certainly, but also to see whether or not this is something that I'll, I'll even consider. Definitely not at launch, but that I would consider later on. And I just, I, I don't feel like playing it. I don't, I really, I, I just don't want to play it. Mm-hmm. See, I played a very little this past weekend. I just they scheduled it on weekends where I just had a lot of stuff going on. But I decided this past weekend I was going to try it out on PS4 just to see, you know, how different it was from PC. But I mean, first of all, even if you're playing on PC, you have to play with controller, keyboard, and mouse. Just it. I mean, I, personally, like I said, I always prefer controllers for third-person games anyway. But it, especially in this game. At least in this build of the game, keyboard and mouse is a little on the painful side. Uh, playing with controller was a nice upgrade, though. If I do end up picking up the game, I still will get it on PC over PS4. The engine just, it's struggling on PS4. Like, the, the Frostbite engine has never performed terribly well on consoles. And Anthem is definitely stretching what it can do, at least on the base hardwares. Like, there was a lot of uh, texture pop-in. It was a lot like um, Mass Effect 2. When Mass Effect 2 first came out, how you'd load into an area, and then, like, 10 seconds later, all the textures would finally pop in. It was a lot of that on PS4. You get some of that, too, on the uh, the PC. And, I mean, I had it tweaked to the max, and I've the system I'm playing on is my new rig. That's a very good one. And mm-hmm. so it should have run flawlessly, and it did not. Once again, I understand it's an older build, but then don't fucking put that shit then. If, like, again, the running's not in there because they didn't think the graphic engine could handle it. So right, it's kind of hard to tell just how much better it will look on release. But once again, I... Although, uh, as opposed to the first weekend, at least my second weekend on PS4, I did have a lot more technical issues. I had the whole the cutscene glitch where I didn't see the end of the, the original cutscene right. at the end of the storyline. And then I could not level to 12. Every time, like, because I, I finished the story, like, a tiny bit away from 12. So I was like, all right, let me hop into free play, do a couple, you know, free play things, and then I'll hit level 12 and I can unlock the javelins. I did a couple of events, you know, exited free play. The free play said, oh, and, you know, experience bar said, okay, you're level 12. I get back to town, still level 11. Did that two more times. I just could not hit level 12. Uh, I enjoyed the free play, though. Like, just cruising around the world, exploring, teaming up with random people. I, I still personally find the game fun to play. But like so many things, that's a personal opinion. Uh, I still am interested uh, it, I'm definitely more positive than you are, that's for sure. Uh, but obviously still waiting on firsthand experiences of the final build to see what it is, see how much content there is, see how well it performs, and numerous things that are still big question marks coming out of the demos. But for me, the core gameplay is very fun and the customizations and stuff are exactly the kind of things I want from games. So I, I'm still in the hopeful side of things. I, I'm certain it will be doing better because it's a later build, clearly, that they're still working on somewhat, I would guess, uh, to prep for this. So I'm sure that it will run better. That goes without saying. Um, I don't think that... Well, I could be wrong, but I doubt that they would have changed the flying that drastically that it would feel as good as it should in the build coming out. I I mean, I could be wrong, but 
that seems pretty big for six weeks. But once again, I'm not a dev. I could be wrong. But the 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 flying still. There's parts of it certainly that feel good, until you get close to shit, and <laughs> it's not really all that much fun anymore. And uh, and so yeah, there's there's far too much of it that I'm still. I don't. I certainly don't feel that it is worth a full sticker price to begin with, and then on top of mm-hmm. that, whatever they're going to be selling, however they're going to be selling it, or whatever. But what was in that video then that just came out? So yeah, chapter two of their gameplay series, uh, detailing everything that you can expect in the game. This one is focused more on end game activities. So you've reached level thirty. Here's what you can do. Talking about the three Grandmaster uh, difficulty levels, which we've talked about before. They're essentially like Torment and Diablo. Everything's stronger, but you get better loot chances. Uh, that there's a lot of uh, side quests and contracts. I don't know how much of that is like scripted and how much of it is procedurally generated. Wasn't quite clear in the in the trailer that uh, a lot of the NPCs around the fort, you're going to have different reputations with different factions, and as you build those up, you keep getting more contracts to go out there. And they're essentially side quests. Um, I would guess probably somewhat similar to the bounties and Destiny is, is a good way to compare them. But doing those, you get crafting materials, you get uh, actual coin, the, the in-game currency to spend on uh, cosmetic upgrades. But yeah, it's building up reputation with the factions then will allow you to... Uh, like buy blueprints from them so that you can craft better weapons and better gear and stuff like that. So there, there seems to be a, a core gameplay loop that they're going. There's also challenges that are represented in daily, weekly, and monthly formats. Uh, those are going to be more focused on like specific gameplay goals, like you know get 30 assault rifle kills or it, stuff like that. And then those are going to also be rewarding with uh, cosmetic items and in-game coin and that sort of stuff. All the way up to the legendary contracts, which I believe I touched on last week, which are like, you know, the high-end end-game style bounties. They talked about the strongholds, which are the uh, game's version of dungeons. There was one of them available in the demo. That right there is my really big question mark, because there's only going to be three of those in the game at launch, which... That's going to be pretty repetitive if that's kind of what you want to do for your gameplay. Like, Destiny had how many strikes at launch? Six, I think? Maybe five? Quite a few. Well, more Which is, if you are, you know, please ball, ballpark double what Anthem is launching with, and Destiny always added a bunch more. But See, that, that worries me a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to gloss over that. that. That is very concerning because, again, I did not enjoy the free play all that much because... There's not that much to do, and certainly not that much original. You're fighting the same kind of creatures around there. Now, granted, we only saw part of the map. More presumably is going to be in the, the full game and stuff like that, so there'll be some different areas. But once again, to, to, to use, again, the comparison to the system in, in Destiny, if you're not doing a strike, you can still go out and and keep fairly busy doing other stuff planet side as well and it's always fun too whereas this just kind of roaming around freestyle i i just for me does not seem like any fun whatsoever uh, again i liken it to monster hunter with their uh, expedition mode which is much like the free play where it's basically 
built around going out and gathering stuff, like getting getting your crafting materials and smaller scale stuff than than the missions. And I spent an ungodly amount of time in expedition mode, just running around and not just like it. On one hand, yes, it's kind of like busy work. It's like it, you're gathering, but on the other hand, the actual gameplay was still fun enough that I enjoyed it, and I had no problem spending an hour running around mining because I was doing all kinds of other cool stuff in between it. So it's those in-between points that are going to make or break the Anthem free play, and we'll we'll see how that works out, of course. Yeah, but without a PvP system in there either, again, it comes back to how much time are you going to put into those three quote-unquote strikes and then free play? Mm-hmm. It, it's going to get old pretty fast. Well, and that's the one good thing Anthem has going for it, though, is that they have an amount of content prepared and that they're working on. And as they've said, all actual content updates for the game are going to be free. And they actually posted the first part of their roadmap uh, on their website today. So the game comes out on February 22nd, and in March is when we're getting Act 1 of the ongoing narrative. They're calling it the Echoes of Reality. And Act 1 is split up into three different updates. Uh, The first one is called Evolving World. Not entirely sure what... uh, what's entailed in that second one is stronger together i think that's where they're bringing in like the the guild system that they've been talking about and then the third update for act one is called the cataclysm this is what they teased at the end of the open demo weekend with like the storms and the titans and all that stuff and they've actually compared these cataclysms which are going to be regular events in the game uh with just they, they showed a little bit of off the, off of it in the trailer where it's like rifts in reality all kinds of crazy enemies showing up but they've likened it to how Fortnite does its seasons. How when Fortnite changes from one season to the next, there's usually some sort of actual event in the world. And then when the event is over, the map in Fortnite has fundamentally changed in some way. So these cataclysms are going to be fundamentally changing the way the map itself functions in addition to enemies and other stuff going on. It seems like... Every couple months is what it's looking like. So they said through Act 1, which again, starting in March, no end date uh, exactly listed. But through these three updates, they're going to add in new world events, numerous quality of life improvements, uh, new rewards, I would assume both mechanical and cosmetic, an expanded progression system. Not entirely sure uh, what that's going to entail. Uh, One new stronghold, guilds and leaderboards, new missions, and then of course the Cataclysm event itself. So I think this is going to be most telling of what we can expect from Anthem long-term is how frequently these updates come out, how much content is contained within them, and ultimately how fun they are to actually do. Yeah, but a lot of those are things that you would expect it to ship with, like the guild stuff, or, you know, Mm -hmm. more content in terms of more, again, of the strikes or the story stuff. You would expect more of that to have been in the game to begin with if it's again selling for a full sticker price of a triple a game so i'm not as impressed with their roadmap because i look at that as going okay well you know maybe three or four of those months should have been included in the final game so it's not really a selling feature for me well, I mean, you say that without knowing how much is in the final game. The only thing we have a definitive number on is the three strongholds, which I fully admit feels like too little. Yeah. So, again, it's 
ultimately going to be a wait and see game of, okay, how much content is there when the game comes out? How much are they adding in with each of these patches? It, it, that's, that's where we are right now. Yeah. It's going to be a game, certainly, that you will get your money's worth of it, especially if you pick it up a little bit later. And then there's quite a bit for you to do. You know, mm-hmm. there's several months worth of content that's accrued and that you can just kind of rip through at your own time. That's where you're really going to appreciate Then I feel the game a lot more. Okay. All right. That was it for that one. I believe that was all the anthem I had to talk about. Yes. Yeah. Again, I and I really don't want it to sound. I I I know I am shitting on it, but I won't continue to. Uh, it's <laughs> it's it's just giving honest opinions based on someone that was really getting hyped, and now it's like no. But that well, can I, change. In all fairness, you're not shitting on it. I've seen plenty of people out there who just based on the fact that it's a not a traditional Bioware game or B published by EA, just based on one of those two facts are just trashing the game. That's what I would consider shitting on it. You gave it a fair chance. You happen to not like it. And you're sharing those opinions. There's a big difference between those two things. Yeah, but I don't want to spend too much time ragging on it either because you are enjoying it. And anybody else who's listening who is enjoying it and i know there are a few that that the the problem is is that i'm seeing a lot of people online that are unhappy with it so it's one of those things where just because i don't like it that doesn't mean it shouldn't exist i'm glad it's out there and other people are enjoying it but it's just not for me but the problem will become if not enough people are enjoying it then their little will charge you this much for you know 20 bucks for a suit era javelin outfit it it could go even up more from that ridiculous price if they feel that they need to essentially gouge their players to make up for a loss of players that's where there's a a problem with it yeah like how there's that point where initially destiny didn't meet activision's expectations and suddenly we got the eververse and there might be a point where if anthem doesn't meet ea's expectations they do the same thing yeah you're not wrong exactly now, we did get a surprise this week as well. The The Battle Royale field is is pretty goddamn full. We were I, I felt it was nice not hearing it quite as often, but we're getting another one. So Respawn has not been working on, you want to say we're something? We're not getting another one. We got another yeah, one. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, Respawn, instead of working on Titanfall 3, was working on this game here apex legends and it is their shot into the battle royale mode and they kept this under lock and fucking key like this came out of nowhere and was a oh and you can play it now and it was funny reading from different people at Respawn, especially uh, Drew McCoy, who's the project lead, talk about it. Because this motherfucker has been honest. <laughs> like, he's saying, yeah. like, EA is publishing this. We have to put loot box in there. It's, it's all our choice, but we know how this looks. Don't kid yourselves. You don't have to tell us. We know. So a lot of it was kept a, a secret so that they could just, instead of having that immediate negative opinion of it based on like you just said if it's published by ea that's that's reason enough to hate on it for some people and there's points depending on what it is that i i feel the same way to a certain degree because of that monetization 
And so they were saying, better just to put it out. Just finish it, put it out, and see what people think of it once they're playing it. And clearly there was, while they said they'd never do it again, there was some intelligence behind it because two and a half million people played it in the span of the first 24 hours. Like, word spread fast, people tried it. Instead of just immediately writing it off, granted it helps that it's free to play a lot, so you can just download it, give it a shot, and see if you like it or not. And I know I did, did you? You checked it out, I checked it out, and neither one of us are big fans of Battle Royale games. That's that's very true, yeah. What did you think? Uh, how far in did you get? I did, I'm did. i going to admit right from the get-go, not too far. I did the tutorial, and then I played two online missions, and I just haven't had time to get back to it since. But like, like looking at the Battle Royale games as a whole, like PUBG never really appealed to me. I just didn't like the super serious like gameplay of it. I tried out Fortnite. It was fun playing with friends, but a lot of the mechanical aspects of that game I just didn't enjoy. Like I don't find the gunplay interesting. The building aspect is cool, but just not for me. Interestingly, like watching videos and all, I was actually very interested by Blackout, which is uh, the Black Ops 4 Battle Royale mode. Like, looking at it, like, okay, it's a lot of fun. Like, they're doing a lot of really good things. Like, But at the same time, it's attached to a $60 Black Ops 4 game with other gameplay made modes I don't want to play. I don't care about zombies. I don't even really care about the regular multiplayer. Blackout itself looked interesting. So here you give me a free-to-play game that... On the surface, gameplay-wise, has a lot to compare with Blackout. Uh, with, on top of that, like, interesting characters, Overwatch-style presentation, and, like, charm to it. And just, like, actual gameplay stuff, a lot of really clever stuff it does. Like, um, the whole jump master system, which encourages your team to stay together on your way into the battlefield, even when you're grouping with randoms. Uh, the call-out system with the pings is absolutely great. You don't, I, I, I think in a lot of ways it's even better than voice communication because the game just kind of does stuff for you, puts waypoints on your maps. Being able to just hit a button if you find a cool weapon that you don't need to show to your teammates. Like, there's a lot of really, really good game design going on here that I appreciate and I'm finding very fun. I'll go you one further. I think it's very intelligent because they recognize that just putting in a chat feature is not going to appeal to everybody. I know a lot of people, myself included, that do not want to go into voice chat. And mm-hmm. I would say, I, I don't want to put words in any mouths, but I would say probably a very large portion of women gamers do not enjoy voice chat because of asshole men. So to give a system where I don't have to hear their voices, I don't want to hear them, I don't want to put up with it, fucking just I don't even their stupid chatter. But I still want to be playing as a team. That's what makes Overwatch so challenging because I turn off chat. Now, most of the time I'm playing with my son and he and I will chat. But even if I'm playing solo, fuck that. I'm just, I don't care if they're mad at me if I'm not doing what they want. I'm just turning off chat because it's so caustic. And so to give the option for people like myself as well as, again, I'm quite certain a number of women, the opportunity to still be fantastic team players but not have to put up with the other people's bullshit, that's brilliant. I adored that system. 
Right. And like I say, the game itself, I, I find it very fun. The movement is great. Again, it's not Titanfall movement, but it's fast. It's responsive. The sliding mechanic is cool. The The interface is simple. Like, the inventory management, all that stuff, it, it, it just works. Like, Respawn knows what they, they're doing when it comes to making games, and you can tell they put a lot of effort into making this as crisp and clean of an experience as possible. Like, in my second game, my team actually won. Granted, I did not contribute a great deal. <laughs> I, between the three of us, we had nine kills. I might have accounted for less than one of those, but if my damage was a fraction of what my other teams was, but I still felt like I was involved. I was part of it. You know, I, I was getting assists. I was even at, at very least laying down covering fire, stuff like that. So even though I personally didn't perform statistically as well as my teammates, I never felt like I was getting carried at the same time either. And, and that's that's a very important thing in a team-based game to, to give you that like positive reinforcement without you know having to hear some 13-year-old telling me I suck because I missed a headshot. Yeah. Now, the one thing that I am concerned about is, is there the way they're talking about their monetization? Because what, mm -hmm. what they're doing is, well, at first... They're making a very big deal about the breadth of characters that they are going to be offering and the diversity in terms of play styles that this will mean. Because unlike a lot of other shooters where in, in, in um, this type of game where Battle Royale, where it's just you out there, unless you are specifically with another group or whatever, this is you've got a squad, so you're together. So that, that composition is going to matter. And so being able to choose the right characters to play, be it a support or a healer or, or some weird DPS or control character or whatever, is going to be important. And they know that, and that's why they're, they're setting this up. And you get some by default, and then they're going to be selling some. And they use the example from the Rainbow Six Siege game where uh, they sell them for $7.50 the characters and they say but theirs is a 60 dollar game ours is not but they're saying you'll be able to buy it with the in-game currency you you earn as well but you can say that even if it takes you two years to accrue enough gold to buy mm -hmm. you can say well you can do it it's going to take you a long time you have to play eight hours a day but you can do it so it's we don't know that yet yeah but I, this, I haven't put in enough time to tell you how much we're accruing that in-game currency i'm yeah i'm all of level three and i have 70 points worth which is a fraction of a fraction of a character but of course that's level three so i, yeah. I can't tell I you know. how but much yeah. the thing that's going to be important though is that if it is too hard or it takes too long to be able to buy them yourself and you do have to pay then it will be very much a pay to win because anybody who's played any games any of the, the types of games like these, or like, again, go back to Overwatch, that team composition matters. And if you weren't able to play key players, key characters in, say, Overwatch again, that would make a significant difference in terms of your level of success, if at all, that's important. So, so again, it's going to depend on just how long it takes for you to be able to buy them with the in-game currency. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of the two characters. Like one of them looked really cool, Caustic. He's the guy that like throws down yeah, poison grenades. Yeah. I can't remember what the second one is. 
I don't but remember like, all the names. Pointing at the 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 core six that that you start with here, like I feel there's a really good balance of strong characters across all uh, disciplines. Like the 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 one I played I played in one match as Gibraltar, the like the big defensive guy, throws down bubble shields. Like he even raises his own shield when he's aiming down sights. So like he seems like a strong defensive option. And the second one, uh, God, what's her name? The uh, like the default girl, I, the healer. I forget her. Yeah. No. I, okay. Yeah, I, I, she's like essentially like your default assault DPS type, and she's perfectly fine. Yeah, the the healer is freaking awesome. Uh, so and she's part of the free cast, and then uh, the robot guy Pathfinder, he's actually really helpful as well. I had one of those on uh, my second team, and him just like zipping around the battlefield, getting those high points of vantage and stuff was very helpful for the team. So. I, I can't say that the best characters are available for free, but I can say the free characters at this point in my limited experience do seem pretty damn good on their own. Oh, they're fun. They're definitely fun. Yeah. Again, it's freaking Well, not just free. fun, but useful. Yes, very. Yeah. I love it. I love the way it controls. I, I had a lot of fun as well. So, and again, it's free. So you have... No reason not to give it a shot and see if you enjoy it. So I'll give it a few more tries and see how much I enjoy going forward from there. But we'll see. But that wasn't your favorite news of the week, was it? No. Because <laughs> between you and Allie, it was all I had to do was read Twitter. I, I didn't need I have to fucking look at it. I'm not going to lie. I, <laughs> I went on a bit of a retweet spree. <laughs> all right. It is up. Yeah, so I actually, uh, I ended up staying home from work on Saturday. I just wasn't feeling great in the morning. And as I was laying in bed, like, looking at my phone, I was like, oh, that's right. FanFest Paris is going on right now for Final Fantasy XIV. We had FanFest, I think it was in L.A. a couple months ago, showing off uh, the announcement of Shadowbringers. And FanFest Tokyo is coming up within a couple months. But in between those, now that we know the expansion is a thing... Here's where we get to the fun parts of actually showing off exactly what's in the expansion. Uh, They showed off an expanded version of the trailer, which was essentially the same trailer they showed before, but with actual like story elements added in. And for people who follow the story, there was definitely a couple of shit moments in there. Uh, Characters we thought were gone are now brought back into the storyline some of them in different bodies uh, some of them with new weapons and, and skills can't not going to go into too in-depth on there because even i can't fully explain it because i'm not caught up in the story myself but cool cool stuff a lot of people lost their damn minds they showed off the new class uh which is the gunbreaker he is or he they are going i called a he because thancred in the trailer <laughs> was using the gunbreaker and it looked cool as shit in the trailer but uh, the Gunbreaker is a tanking class using the Gunblade, uh, made famous in Final Fantasy VIII, and has been used by the uh, the Garlean Empire, one of the villain factions in the game, has been using Gunblades. And this is a really interesting-looking tank because there's no, you know, shield or anything. It's a, it's a one-handed weapon. It's a sword with freaking gun revolver in it. But showing off the gameplay, uh, it has, like, a lot of, like, shielding mechanics. Like, they're magically charged bullets, like gonna need to see a little more but seems very fun seems very stylish which i enjoy uh if you're gonna be doing the uh the grunt work you might as well look cool while you're doing it that is the number one rule of final fantasy no matter what you're doing look cool while you're doing it (laughs) uh they officially announced that the viera 
the bunny race from Final Fantasy twelve is going to be the next playable race. They're Thus far, they only... diving head long, head first right into the fan service. <laughs> Oh, it's, it's not good. It's not enough that you have cat girls. You're also going to get bunny girls now. You know what? There's also dragon girls and and listen, if you've if you've got a type, Final, Final Fantasy, Fantasy 14 has got you. Got you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they only showed off the female Viera, which of course are the only Viera we've seen in Final Fantasy history based on unconfirmed information as well as just personal feelings. We will see a male version of the race at some point down the line, just because one of the things that 14 did was took races from both Final Fantasy XI, the previous MMO, and the 1.0 version of Final Fantasy XIV that had gender-locked races and brought them to have the, the full gender breadth amongst them. So there's no reason that there's not going to be a male version of the Viera. I've heard that they're not going to be bunnies, but... We'll see. <laughs> whoa, 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 hold on. So the female characters are bunnies, but not the male characters? Yeah. Well, the fuck does that make sense? Final Fantasy. All right. <laughs> uh, then one of the biggest surprises. So in the Stormblood version of Final Fantasy fourteen, they did what they called an alliance raid which is a 24-man raid, but they bring in guest designers to help design the content. And since you're Square Enix and you have a murderer's row of designers available to you, they brought in the team from Final Fantasy XII and they did the return to Ivalice, which was the Final Fantasy XII world and characters and style brought into Final Fantasy XIV's gameplay. They're taking that's, this the that's next... Cool. That's cool. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Which actually led into bringing the Viera in as a playable race. Like it, it actually, like there was a plan here. <laughs> They're going a little farther with the Alliance raid in Shadowbringers because it's called Yorha Dark Apocalypse. Bringing in Yoko Taro in a near crossover Alliance raid. Really? Yes. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell, that's cool. Oh, that is very, very cool. So a lot of really big news to look forward to. But uh, what I was really interested in is some of the smaller news. Uh, first of all, they talked about the trust system is coming to Final Fantasy fourteen. Now, the trust system was one of the best additions they made to Final Fantasy eleven. Essentially, AI NPCs that you could recruit... You know, you actually had to, like, do quests and stuff to recruit them that would join you on missions. Now, Final Fantasy XI, everything in that game was group content. Like, literally everything, even just basic leveling was group content. So, being able to bring in these NPC adventurers to help you out and actually form a party, and they did a good job of it. Like, they were really intelligent. Like, they had... Each individual character had their own AI that they followed. So no matter what class you were playing, you could build a party around your class that would work and be effective and be fun. They're bringing that over into Final Fantasy XIV. They've experimented with this in the past with the uh, the squadron system. Squadron was essentially like a 
almost garrison style uh, side content where you were raising your, your group of NPC adventurers, mostly just sending them out on missions. They added in the ability for them to run certain dungeons with you as NPCs. They were dumb as rocks. It was essentially just, okay, you want to run this dungeon, you can do it by yourself. It wasn't necessarily an enjoyable experience, but it was an experience. If you're a DPS and you want to queue up for an unpopular dungeon, this was the best way to do it, essentially, without waiting forever for a group to show up and then hoping they didn't disband immediately when they saw it was one of the terrible ones that nobody ever wants to do. So if they can take the success of the trust system, and I feel calling it the trust system is very important, and bringing it into that existing concept and making that existing concept work better, they're definitely on a right path here because they said that your your trust NPCs will be able to help you out in any story-based dungeon. Now remember, all content in Final Fantasy XIV is gated by the story, and getting stuck behind a wall of not being able to progress because you can't find a good group and whatnot is painful. I've been there. So giving you these NPCs and the NPCs they showed off in the trust system are the actual important story NPCs as well. So there's going to be a lot of relevance to doing the story content with the story NPCs and being able to progress yourself through the game. That is just a very good future all around, assuming it works like it did in 11, which was uh, again, very positive. Yeah, but it's not going to mean anything if they're dumb as rocks as well. That's why I say, call it calling it the trust system instead of the next evolution of the squadron. Uh, I forget exactly what it was called, command missions or whatever. I think changing the name, at least to me, implies that the system is going to function more like it did in Eleven than it does currently. Right. All right. Was there anything else? Yeah, there was. Okay. Very small things. Uh, first of all, they talked about the, the Holy Sea of Ishgard, one of the uh, like the, the story elements going forward. Is Ishgard is the uh, nation to the north that was the, uh, the central point of the Heaven's Ward expansion. War-torn from centuries of war with the dragons, and they've been rebuilding. So... They're calling the rebuilding of the Holy Sea of Ishgard is going to be an important part of the Shadowbringers expansion. And what it seems like from what they've said is it's essentially story-based content for crafters and gatherers. Because you're actually rebuilding the city. There's going to be stories and quests to progress through with your crafting and gathering jobs, just like you're progressing through the main story with your combat classes, which is great that's actually like the, the, pretty goddamn cool yeah the cat the the crafting and gathering classes have always had like their own little independent storylines because you're you're actually leveling them up they're actual playable classes and so you have to go through quests at, at certain breakpoints to, to get new abilities and whatnot and they, they've had like there are small little stories some of them have actually been pretty damn interesting uh hell the fishing uh the fishing quests involved assassination attempts like it was fucking wild <laughs> so seeing There's them giving a them mackerel that didn't pay his rent last week <laughs> you go take care of his kneecaps <laughs> so seeing like them getting like their own actual story content is, is very very great and then speaking of the story there's a lot of this is speculation on my part <laughs> but what they're looking like they were doing, like I was talking about before, 
uh, the first time this was announced, I actually don't think you were on that episode. Uh, the whole concept of the Shadowbringers expansion is that Final Fantasy fourteen, the the world and the worlds plural, uh, are built around the concept of the ebb and flow of light and darkness. Uh, darkness gets really bad. There's a calamity. Everything's bad, and then eventually the light swells back up, and and everything becomes good again. And there's, there's cycles to this. I'm not going to get too in depth. But what they're doing with the concept of Shadowbringers is the light has become too powerful. Like, the darkness is not the only thing that can cause calamities in the world. The light can do it as well, and you have to essentially embrace the darkness to bring balance to things and save people. It seems that from the, the narration we get in the trailer that there's some sort of time skip. I don't know if it's at the beginning of the expansion, or maybe you do some of the story content, you finally defeat the Empire... And then it skips ahead to this secondary storyline of the, the light uh, coming in. And one of the small things they talked about is that there's a New Game Plus mode. So anybody who's played games knows that New Game Plus is a popular feature in a lot of action games and RPGs where you get to the end of the game and you can start it over again from the beginning, but you could keep all your cool shit. That's not how MMOs work. There's no such thing as starting over in an MMO, short of making a new character. MMOs are all about progression. So what it feels like to me is that this new game plus is going to literally be your character going back in time and realizing we made some mistakes. We let the light get too powerful. The only way to fix it is to go back and do things again, which makes sense if you're going to do a new game plus an MMO. If you're going to be replaying the old content, there's got to be a reason to do it other than to just do it. If yeah. you want to replay the old story missions, you can do that already. You can run the old dungeons again. Like, There's nothing that you can't experience already. There has to be an actual reason to go back and experience it again. But that's because... the thing that if... Correct me if I'm wrong, because it's been a while now since I've been in 14, but there's no... Mm -hmm choice system you're just doing the questing no. same as you did yeah. any so going back in a system that doesn't unless you really liked the whole pick 10 flowers quest <laughs> no but my point is that this would make more sense if they had a uh, uh kind of like swotor's like dark side where it sends mm -hmm. you back and say this time you need to choose more of the other one then that'll show you at least well yeah this is definitely going like to be that. a guided experience yeah this yeah because the, there were NPCs that were uh, foes. I forget if it was in the 2.0 era or in the 3.0 era. Again, I didn't actually play it. I experienced it through catching up on cutscenes after I took the, the skip ahead for Stormblood. That they were the warriors of darkness. They were uh, adventurers, much like yourself. They even had the same character model as the default like human NP uh, version of the warrior of light. Who were, again from a world that was destroyed by the light. We assumed that it was another world. Of, you know, there's 14 other worlds out there, or 13 other, with the, the one you play in being the 14th. We assumed they were from another world that were destroyed by the was that was destroyed by the light. I'm just throwing it out there that they're possibly, and I would even say probably, from this world and they were brought back in time because this world ended up getting destroyed by the light. And that's where the new game plus comes in. Because again, it makes no sense to put a new game plus in an MMO unless you're going to do something with it narratively. 
Yeah, that just seems odd to me. I, I don't know anybody who would do that. You'd have to be pretty bored with what you're doing to do that, in my opinion, to run through everything yeah. yet again. I mean, I can I mean, see it more for an alt or whatever, although this game encourages you just to have the one character anyway. Yeah, this is one of the few games that actively punishes you for rolling alts. Yeah, well, you'll have to let us know about it when it comes out. I, I'm I'm very excited. Like, oh, the, the whole story on. seems do you really ha- cool. Do you have to get to the end of the story to unlock that new game plus, or at any time you could do that? Uh, presumably, but we, we don't know. Because what happens what happens if you get to the end of the story, you unlock new game plus, you go back to the level one content, and then they release new level eighty content before you've caught back up again. Like and it takes a long time to get through all that too in that game. Oh yes, it does. Like how far into the last expansion are you, or have, have you even have you even gotten to that point yet? I am approximately now. Granted, I took a lot of time off due to oh yeah yeah no that's fine yeah, yeah. I am approximately halfway through the original Stormblood storyline. So patch four point They're up to patch four point five, and each one of those main patches added in a chunk of story content. So you still have a hell of a long way to go before you'd be able to access this. Yeah. See, that's the one thing about the game that I always felt, too, because I, I played it for a little while, and then I actually went back to it again, and it it always felt like there was so much that you would never get through it all to to actually get to the end of the the current content kind of thing, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it's still kind of daunting as a new player when you go in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where I think that the trust system is going to be really important. Being able to just knock out that content. Like, they they worked on the leveling curve, so you don't have to do a million side quests to stay up with level to progress through the story. Now, it's it's kind of like Star Wars became, where old story content, if you just do the main story, you should be at the proper level with the proper gear to continue. You, You don't have to stop and grind or any of that stuff. So... If they can then layer the trust system on top of that where you can do the story dungeons by yourself and just blast through it, it's going to be much less daunting. Right. All right. Was there anything else? I think that, I mean, there was a numerous minor things, but I, I think that about covers everything that uh, we would be interested in here. So obviously you and Allie have been having a blast being back in there. I've, I've noticed she's been streaming it more too. Yeah, she started streaming it a, a little bit more lately, and then the, with the new announcements, she's been kind of whole hog back into it because she herself needs to get caught up on content. I think she's up to patch 4.2 with the story content. So even she has a hell of a lot to, <laughs> to go yet. Well, I mean, that's what happens when you don't really play much for several months, and a game like Final Fantasy XIV, which is constantly releasing content, is... If you fall behind, you, you got to put in the work to get caught back yeah, up again. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Well, again, I'm sorry, this, is, this isn't like other games where you can expect one content drop every six to eight months. That's the thing. Like, there's there there's there's like a happy medium between this and WoW. <laughs> it's just yeah, have to find the right game that has that happy medium. Might be Swotor for me. 
All right, then. That is going to wrap it up for tonight. We are going to have a feature on Destiny 2 for Marty. I'll be playing that in a few minutes. Uh, seconds, actually. I actually was checking out their sale because they had a sale for the last few days on Destiny uh, 2 Forsaken. I just didn't think it was quite low enough. <laughs> but I <laughs> I am still looking at it because I I would like to do that content. I would like to see what happens with, with Cade and, and stuff like that. Because I did really enjoy the story that was going on before that. So once that sale price goes down low enough, I'm, I'm looking forward to going into it. The problem too, though, is that I'm debating whether or not the season pass will ever be worth it for this game or not. Not for you. So I don't know if I should just get the regular one or if I should get the one that has the season pass too. The season pass is only worth it for people like Marty. And I don't do that as like a derogative people like Marty who play regularly and want to continue to progress in end game content. Right. No, that makes the choice easier then. Okay. Yeah. I, I, again, I'm looking forward to going back in if <laughs> it's funny. And I laughed with Tristan about this because we're a lot harsher together on Destiny 2 than I am on the podcast, even because <laughs> both he and I were playing it. And um, and it's funny because, again, I can appreciate that they've they've come a long way since before. Plus them moving away from EA. Hey, uh, you know what? I'm our Activision, I should say. Um, l- let's see if they screw us. If not, OK, I will actually help support you guys for that. That's that's awesome. I would love to see that from that that studio. You know, not having Activision pulling the strings and treating them like a puppet. But I digress. So I'm I'm looking forward to getting into Destiny 2 and playing that content to see to see what happened. And I do I do miss the gameplay. Like if if Anthem did anything for me, it made me want to play Destiny 2 even more. How funny is that? You see, it what's funny is it's kind of the opposite for me. Really? Yeah, as as great as the Destiny 2 gameplay is, don't get me wrong, it's one of the best games out there for shooter gameplay, not taking anything away from it. Anthem just plays more how I like to play. Right. More skill-focused, shorter cooldowns, doing cool shit more often, is it feels better to me than Destiny does. Cool. Not saying it's mechanically as crisp and precise and because no game is Bungie is literally the best in the business at what they do but in style it's definitely more my flavor yeah Good morning, listeners. It's 6 a.m. as I record this, and I'm going to do a quick Destiny 2 lore catch-up, or, for reasons that you will soon find out, I'm calling this particular segment, It's Like Groundhog Day, but for the Awoken. Okay, so this segment will be in three parts. You need to have a little backstory about what happened in Destiny 1 and parts of Forsaken. You need to know why the raid last wish is so important to both this lore and uh, what's going on in the current game. Uh, And what does this all mean for destiny three? And, you know, and bonus, why does this matter? I'll explain it all. So let's start uh, back in the taken King, the destiny one year, the first really amazing expansion for destiny uh, one 
where we find that Marasov, Queen of the Reef, uh, is killed by Oryx the Taken King in this great cutscene space battle. Uh, we lose Aldrin, we lose Marasov, and the only one that we know left over is Petrovenge, and uh, that's it of all the Awoken. Uh, so fast forward through the rest of Destiny 1, all of Destiny 2, the Red War, Warmind, uh, Curse of Osiris, uh, and we arrive to Forsaken, wherein the Regent and Queen of the Reef, excuse me, Queen's Wrath, she is not the Queen, Petrovenge asks Cade Six for help in quelling a prison riot at the Prison of Elders. And the Prison of Elders is uh, basically Supermax in space. So you go help Cade and you discover that it's not a prison riot, it's a prison break. And that Prince Aldrin, who everybody but, you know, lore nerds thought was dead, uh, has come back under the power of the Ahamkara. Uh, I will now refer to Ahamkara as uh, wish-granting space dragons because that's just easier to understand what they do. Uh, Aldrin frees the Forsaken, kills Cade, and makes a mess of everything. We then have to help Petra uh, and the Forsaken and the, the Awoken one kill Aldrin, kill the Forsaken. And we do that only to discover that the home of the Awoken has been cursed by the wish granting space dragon named Riven. Uh, he is also taken as in one of those funky looking white, black uh, shifty mobs. Okay. That's a big deal because Ahamkara grant wishes. However, their wishes have a tendency to cost more uh, for the people asking uh, than not. So Marasov worked with Riven to help build the Dreaming City. However, Savathun, who is a hive god who you encounter basically on Titan in the Savathun strike and on Io when you interact with things from the Ascendant Realm, uh, has basically made a wish to trap the Awoken. And so... Uh, the wish was granted when Riven died, which was the end of the last wish raid. The wish keeps the Dreaming City in a time lock of this, of a three-week period where they're trying to push back on the curse that Riven laid on the city. It's a little more complicated than that, but that's pretty much it. But what's cool about it is, one, the Dreaming City mechanic is, uh, you know, everybody's played a game where, you know, every couple of weeks, some event is time-gated. And in this, it's it's neat because uh, it's tied in with the lore because there is a lot of timey-wimey going on in the Dreaming City, and now we know it's because of the Ahamkara, also known as the Space, uh, space Dragon. So that's the time loop. The time loop is a big deal because uh, Savathun, that big bad hive god, she is the god of trickery and secrets and puzzles. And so when anybody tries to solve a puzzle fails or succeeds, she gains, she gains power. And that's kind of the, the meta lore of, of destiny in itself. Uh, she has to do these types of rituals to engage and grow powerful. So she has set up this ritual, this puzzle where people are bound in a three week cycle and they've got to do extra things to break free of it. Um, so she's getting power while we're doing this. We're giving it to her. Um, because the the light and all that other stuff. It's if you play D&D, it makes sense. If you've never played D&D, you might be a little bit confused by it. But, you know, just take my word for it. She gets power from it. 
this is why the activities in the Dreaming City are in a three-week cycle and they rotate um, and why the taken nature of the Dreaming City ebbs and flows over a three-week period. So that's cool. Also, every week since the end of the last wish raid we can go visit marasov in her throne world and this is a place where you ascend to a higher plane of existence and that's your real home now so if you die anywhere but that world you're not dead and that's the the, the awoken that was their game plan to send mara and have her protect the awoken by becoming an ascendant being and that's why she was willing to go fight uh, Oryx, because she was going to become super powerful, and, and she did. So every week, uh, we go to her home, and Ghost is snarky with her. Ghost is like, hey, uh, Queen of the Reef, your people need you. You should show up. And uh, I have got a couple clips of this, and it's actually pretty neat to see Ghost being like, hey, no, we're fighting this fight for you. Where the hell are you? Um Two weeks ago, in the second-to-last confrontation, uh, the cutscene was Marasov shouting down Ghost, like the most imperious, uh, regal, and royal method of being like, you have no idea what I have done, you have no idea what I can do, and you have no right to judge me since you don't even know how to rule. Uh, And she throws an insult at him, calling him Little Light, which is also important because that's a little inside joke about ghosts. Um, But she basically calls him out saying, you don't know how to rule and you don't know what I have sacrificed to get here. Last week, the one clip that made, uh, that perked the interest of the team was Marasov uh, and her message in the throne world of last week, where she talks about a friend that she will have uh, who told her to pick a side even if it's the wrong side. And then uh, before she tell uh, transmats away in something that's familiar to destiny one players, she says bow to no one. Okay. What does that mean? Marasov is referencing the exo stranger, the poorly used and poorly understood character uh, from destiny one who shows up and tells you to go fight the Vex and go stop the black garden and then disappears. Uh, she gives you at first, she gave you a legendary post, uh, legendary gun. Then she gives you an exotic gun. Whatever. Uh, she was a plot point that was wrapped up uh, very poorly, and now they're tugging back out because they know what they're going to do with her. But Marasov saying she's friends with the Exo Stranger, uh, and we know more about the Exo Stranger now because of the expansion War Mind. We know that uh, the Exo Stranger is actually uh, Anna Bray's sister, Elsie Bray. We know that she is out there fighting something worse than Hive, Vex, Fallen, and Forsaken. She's out there fighting the actual darkness, the pyramid ships that we see at the end of the campaign in Destiny 2. So, this means that for the future of the franchise, the Exo Stranger is making a comeback because Marasov is basically saying, I'll see you again. She's talking about being with her friend. She quotes the Exo Stranger in saying you need to pick a side. That's what the Exo Stranger says. Um, you need to pick a side, even if it's the wrong side, in Destiny 1, in one of a, the more confusing cutscenes. And uh, we know she's off to go fight the darkness because uh, 
that's the other part of what's said. Uh, when uh, she says something to the effect of, uh, when there's too much darkness, the light must shine to dispel it. And when there's too much light, the darkness must return and smother it. It's the part of the duality and the curse of being awoken is that they know this and they know that precarious balance. So that's it. Uh, we know that this is a tie into Destiny 1. They're uh, neatly weaving in two points from Destiny 1 to take us into Destiny 3, where we're rumors are abounding about like darkness infused guardians and we're going to see new mobs with the pyramid ships and the darkness coming to earth again and how we're going to fight it as guardians all in all um the lore about this is really cool and the problem is you know if i got to be critical of it and i will be if you don't do the blind well activity and take the oracle to go see marasov you don't know most of this stuff uh, it is a three-week cycle. Everybody's got seven chances to go do it. But, you know, if you miss a week, you miss a cutscene. That's why there are lore nerds like My Name is Bife and the Ishtar Collective and huge threads on Reddit. That will take you there to show you the lore and show you those videos. Uh, the voice actor for Marasov is phenomenal. And I just highly recommend checking this out because it does show you what the post-campaign story is and how it's all leading up to a confrontation with the darkness returning and old friends and faces coming and hopefully they'll have some better use because the Exo Stranger uh, through other bits of lore throughout Destiny 2 is really cool. But more about her later if anybody other than me and Amir pick up Destiny 3. And that's it. This has been my Destiny 2 lore segment. Uh, it's like Groundhog Day, but for the Awoken. Get it? Because it's on a time loop, and we've been doing it for a while. Anyway, uh, you can find me, Marty, on Twitter at Officer Gleason. You can find uh, my po comics podcast at allcomicsconsidered.com, where this week we're celebrating Black History Month. And bonus, we're going to be talking about some of David F. Walker and Sanford Green's new books, which are phenomenal if you're a comics person. Um, and until next week, uh, where I'll be running the new Monero game, I will talk to you all later. All right, so that is going to wrap it up for tonight. So thank you for listening. You can, of course, find the show notes at ForTheLore.com. You can find us on Twitter at ForTheLore. Individually, Joe, who is not here, loaders at J. Vince is Simonian. Marty is Officer Gleason. And you can leave us your thoughts on iTunes and Stitcher. And with that, we will see you in a few days when we do our next Numenera episode. So looking forward to that. Thanks for listening. We're caught in a trap. I can't walk out. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince, a movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as Lore Watch, a Blizzard lore podcast co-starring Joe. And if you're into comic books, check out All Comics Considered with Marty and his crew. Lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. You can find him at ManelliJamal.com as well as on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.